The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, if you remember last week, and there's really no need to change the metaphor, uh, last week's passage left us in a courtroom, staring an overwhelming amount of evidence in the face. Paul has been working to prove his case, and, and we saw him kind of in his, his final arguments. He's been working to prove his case that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And look, he's, he's done it. He's proven his case beyond a reasonable doubt. Again, we, we saw this last week. The verdict, brothers and sisters, is in. <laughs> Guilty. Every mouth has been stopped and, and all stand guilty before a holy God. The, the sentence is this, that all are deserving of his just wrath and eternal punishment. Well, this is, this is the bad news. And, and this bad news anticipated eagerly our passage this week. This is, this is the universal human condition apart from Jesus. And it's against the stark background of this bad news that Paul is going to make the good news known to us. The good news that he's going to make known to us this morning is this, that right standing before God is possible through faith in Jesus. Right standing before God, despite all of this, despite, despite his closing arguments from last week, an argument that he's been building piece by piece over the last several weeks, despite all of this, right standing before God is in fact possible. Now the, the, the fancy theological word for this, and, and we're going to see this in our passage more than once, the fancy theological word for this is justification. Justification. Now, the, the Baptist catechism written in the, written in the late 1600s by Benjamin Keach defines justification in this way. So let's, before we dive into the passage and we run into this word, let, let's define it for ourselves. Uh, Keach says this, that justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, that is, credited to us, and received by faith alone. Let me summarize what he's saying there really simply by saying this, that justification is all about sinners made righteous. It's all about the guilty being acquitted. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. This is what we're going to see this morning in our passage. If justification is, is all about sinners made righteous, then I, I want to make four observations from our text today about this righteousness. Four observations. We're going to see, first of all, that this, 
this righteousness that is imputed to us, that is credited to us, that it's a, it's a foreign righteousness. Secondly, that it is a, a gifted righteousness. Thirdly, a just righteousness. And lastly, this righteousness is a passive righteousness. So again, right standing. Right standing before God is possible through faith in Jesus. And it's by faith that you and I are justified, that you and I are made righteous. And so let's, let's take a look at these, these four observations about this righteousness from our text. First of all, we have a foreign righteousness. Again, look at the stark note that we ended on last week. Paul couldn't be any clearer. Verse 20 of chapter 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Paul has been very clear that right standing before God is not achievable through the law. There's nothing you can do. There's no list of rules you can follow. There's no Items on a checklist that you can mark off. There are no sins that you can abstain from. There's no collection of good deeds that you can heap up for yourself in order to put yourself into right standing with God. It's impossible. Right standing before God is not achieved and cannot be achieved through the law. And look, that's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. Because this is how, this is how people throughout the ages have, have sought to find right standing before God. They've, they've sought out to achieve right standing for themselves. This, this is a problem because it's not possible. And look, if, if when we look in the mirror, we see the solution to this problem that we have with God, then that means that we've gotten it all wrong. Because, look, here's what's wrong with that. When you look in the mirror, that's not the solution staring back at you, is it? When you look at the mirror, that's a problem looking back at you. And look, I, I know this isn't going to play well in the self-help section of the bookstore. But remember, we saw this last week as well. We aren't sinful because we sin. We're, we sin because we're sinful. This is the, the stark truth that, that Scripture plays out. And that is that you and I, we are not the solution. You and I are the problem. And, and one of the fatal flaws at, of, of human beings is thinking that we can be both the problem and the solution to the problem. The solution to our political strife and division is another politician or maybe a collection of politicians in a political party. The solution to injustice perpetrated by humans in our world is another human being's definition of justice. Man destroyed the planet, man can save the planet. And look, we do the same, we do the same thing with sin as well. But the problem especially in this case, is that we're the problem. 
The law was never intended to lead us on a path of self-discovery whereby we could become the solution to our pervasive and universal sin problem. You see, we need a solution that is outside of ourselves. We need to look outside of ourselves for the solution to this problem. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, it's, it's on the heels of this very bad news that Paul has very good news for us. He says in verse 21, but now, that, that word but is, is so welcomed on the heels of last week's passage, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Two things that Paul is saying here. Number one, the righteousness of God has been revealed not through our own obedience to the law, but as Paul says here, apart from it. Apart from it. If it's, the right, if, if it's righteousness that we're looking for, a righteousness acceptable to God, then the mirror isn't the place that we're going to find it. So we should stop looking there. Look, that, that's because the, the righteousness that, the, that we're looking for, the, the righteousness that we need as we stand before God as judge and jury, it, it's not a righteousness that's native to us. It's an, it's an altogether foreign righteousness. It's an alien righteousness found outside of ourselves and outside of our obedience to the law, outside of our striving to heap up our good deeds, to do all the right things and abstain from all of the wrong things. So where do we find this, this foreign, this alien righteousness? Well, verse 22 tells us the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We find this righteousness in the person, in the work of Christ himself. And as Paul tells us, the law and the prophets bear, bear witness to it. Our Old Testament, it it anticipated this righteousness, the revealing of this righteousness. In fact, this takes us all the way back to the first two verses of the book of Romans, where, where Paul introduces himself, saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, which he what? Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The, the gospel was promised beforehand by the, the law and the prophets anticipated by the Old Testament Scriptures. This righteousness apart from the law is, is something that has been testified to and anticipated for centuries by God's people and by God's Word. So then, we've asked and answered the question, where do we find righteousness acceptable to God? It's not in ourselves. This is, a, this is an altogether foreign, an alien righteousness. We have to look outside of ourselves. It's a righteousness found only in the person and the work of Jesus. But that doesn't solve our problem yet. Just because the righteousness exists doesn't mean that we have access to it. And so the next, the next question that we might find ourselves asking is how do we get it? How do we get this righteousness? That brings us to point number two. We see that this righteousness, it's a, it's a gifted righteousness. Verse 22 again, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who? 
This is a righteousness for all who believe. For there is no distinction, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Three, three things I want to note about these couple of verses here. Number one, that this righteousness, that this foreign righteousness is a righteousness that is to be received by faith. It's a righteousness that is to be received through faith for all who believe. That's how we take hold of this alien righteousness. It's through faith in Jesus, who is, who is our needed external source of righteousness. What Paul is saying here is trust in Jesus. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your own ability to keep the law. Don't trust in the law itself. Trust in Jesus. Trust in the worthiness of Christ. Trust in the worthiness of his righteousness on your behalf. And he says, secondly, that this righteousness is a righteousness offered to all, which is, which is good news, especially for Paul's audience, which would probably have been a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Look, Paul is, is clear here in illustrating this, that, that this is a universal solution to a universal problem. And look, a universal problem requires a universal solution. He says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Sin affects every one of us. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't make distinctions. Again, we saw that last week. And the good news of the gospel is this, that the gospel doesn't make distinctions either. The gospel doesn't discriminate either. The, this righteousness of God is available to any and all who would come to Christ through faith and believe in him. Sure, the, the, the source of this righteousness, the, the source of this right standing before God, it, it's, it's exclusive. It's found in one place, in one place only rest assured that Jesus has the market cornered on righteousness. He has an absolute monopoly. And the FTC can't do a thing about it. But it's freely available. Freely available to any and all who would believe. This this is a radical exclu uh, inclusivity. Honestly, not another religion or worldview on the face of the earth can boast. This righteousness, it's, it's freely available to all who believe, regardless of who you are. Regardless of who your family is. Regardless of what kind of car you drive or what kind of education you've had. Regardless of, of what you've done, positively or negatively. It's freely, it's freely available to you, regardless of what's been done to you. This righteousness, it's, it's freely available to you, regardless of how successful you are. Or how many failures you've piled up on your resume. Regardless of the mess that you've made of your life, regardless of the mistakes that you've made, the gift of this 
alien righteousness for you is, is available to you freely. Lastly, Paul points out that this is an, it's an undeserved gift, this righteousness. This righteousness that's made freely available. It's, it's made freely available to those who are undeserving. You might go so far as to say that a prerequisite to receiving this righteousness is that you, you need to be undeserving of it. And look, we all check that box. Paul writes in verse 24 that we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. Later in chapter 6, Paul was going to contrast this free gift with the wages of sin. Gift, wage. These are two very different things, aren't they? Romans 6.23, Paul writes that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is helpful. Because what's the difference between wages and gifts? Wages are earned, right? Wages are earned. You're owed wages. Your paycheck each month isn't given to you out of the kindness of your employer's heart. Right? And so you, you, don't, you don't go to work every month to pick up your paycheck and like open a box with a bow on top, right? Your paycheck isn't found underneath a Christmas tree. That would be silly. And look, if, if your employer refused to pay you for a month's work, you would probably take action, legal action, to secure the wages that you had earned. Those are, those are wages that you are owed in exchange for work that you have been done. A gift, on the other hand, is freely given. Right now, my family, we're, we're, um, we're building our, our Christmas lists and then kind of passing them out, distributing them to everyone. And look, I, I have a lot of items on my Christmas list and I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully receiving. But, but look, if, if uh, Kaylee or my kids or my in-laws don't, hit all the items on the list, I'm not going to lawyer up. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't earn any of the things on the list. This isn't how gifts work. We, we merely receive gifts, don't we? We receive them, we open them, and we enjoy them. But we haven't earned them. And look, the, the same goes for salvation in Christ. It's available in one way and one way only. You can't earn salvation in Christ as a wage. You can only receive it as a gift. And an undeserved gift at that, you, you don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it. And look, listen to me. Listen to me. You can't pay him back for it either. This isn't going out to lunch with a friend one day she picks up the tab, and the next day you do. No. You can't repay Jesus for the gift. It's been freely given to you. You're undeserving, and he's okay with that. That's the point. So then, we have, we have a, a foreign righteousness. We have a, a gifted righteousness. We see also that the righteousness extended to his people through faith in Christ is also a just righteousness. 
Paul's really careful in our passage today. I don't know if you notice this, but he's careful to point out here that the gospel isn't a divine sweeping of our sin under the rug, so to speak. And I think as Christians, we can oftentimes talk about grace in this way. It's like in Jesus, you can find forgiveness for your sins. It's like, well, what happens to my sins? I don't know. They just poof, disappear. And look, this isn't, this isn't how the gospel works. This, the righteousness that we receive by faith in Christ, it's, it's a just righteousness. And what we see here is that the gospel isn't, isn't the Lord just putting his head in the sand. In the gospel, he's not just looking the other way and pretending he didn't see. Jesus isn't getting on the horn and calling in a few favors with the DA. He's not. He's, he isn't going easy on us. He's not grading on a curve. He's not David, Copper, David Copperfield. He doesn't make your sin just disappear into thin air. And neither is he manipulating the system or exploiting a loophole on your behalf. Think about it. Imagine a murderer who's standing before a judge. The evidence was overwhelming. And the jury's verdict was handed down swiftly and they, they found him guilty of murder in the first degree beyond a reasonable doubt. This was a heinous crime. It was a disgusting crime. Now it's time for the judge to hand down his sentence for this convicted murderer. Imagine, imagine being in the courtroom and hearing the judge say, look, I'm feeling really loving and forgiving today. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. You look, you look kind of sorry for what you did. And I, I know this is a bad thing, but you've done a lot of good things in your life to, to counteract this bad thing. I'll I, I tell you what. I, I'm going to release you with time served. You're free to go. Let me ask you a question. Is this a good judge? That's not a good judge at all. It's not a, it's not a just judge. So justice demands that one convicted of murder be sentenced accordingly. Justice demands it. And it's no different with God. Because God is just, he must... He must demand just punishment for our sin. Anything less would undermine the justice and the righteous character of our God. And so again, we, we, we have a bit of a dilemma. <laughs> what, what do we do? Well, look, the, the gospel isn't just good news because Jesus offers us forgiveness for our sins. Righteousness for the unrighteous. The gospel is good news because Jesus paid the just penalty due to us for our sin. This is why the cross is so significant for us as Christians. And Paul writes that it was Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show 
God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. This word forbearance, this is what happens when you can't pay your school loans, right? You call up the, uh, the loan office and you say, look, I'm in a hard spot. Can you, can you give me some forbearance? Six months of forbearance. Does that mean that you don't ultimately have to pay the loans back? No, it just means, hey, for a little while, you can hold off paying. But one day, we will send you the bill. was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance with the Old Testament saints, for example, he had passed over former sins. He had not exacted full and final payment. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This, this, this word propitiation, this word propitiation means to satisfy God's just and holy wrath and anger against sin. This is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Christ is our propitiation. On the cross, Jesus bled and died and quenched the just wrath of God due to you and due to me for our sin. He did this for the the sins of all believers, past, present, and future, even, again, the, the Old Testament saints. This is the significance of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, achieving for us not just righteousness, but, but just righteousness, a just righteousness that doesn't undermine the character of God. And in doing so, he puts his own worthiness on display. The lamb is worthy to be slain. The lamb is worthy to quench the wrath for your sins and for mine. He is sufficient for this. This is the God that we worship. This is the Jesus that we worship. He satisfied the requirements of the law. He's quenched God's wrath for his people, and in, and in so doing, he has put the righteousness of God and the justice of God on glorious display. So sinners made righteous were made righteous through a, a, a foreign and altogether alien and altogether out there righteousness. It's a gifted righteousness, freely given to us. It's a just righteousness, and lastly, it's a it's a passive righteousness. The, the idea here, if, if you're not tracking so far, the, the idea here is that every aspect of redemption and salvation is accomplished not by you, but by Jesus. Not by me, but by Jesus. It's, it's Jesus' righteousness that's credited to the Christian. It's Jesus' death that quenches the wrath of of God for sin. It's Jesus that reconciles the unrighteous sinner to a holy and righteous God. And so this is what Paul is getting at when he asks a very pertinent question then in verse 27. He asks this, then, then what becomes of our boasting? And then he answers his own question. It's excluded. It's excluded. But boasting, boasting doesn't even make sense. Boasting in, in oneself. 
Look, the, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Rest assured, what Paul is talking about here, you didn't achieve it. This, this righteousness, you, you didn't warrant it. This righteousness, look, we didn't make ourselves worthy of it somehow. And contrary to what we might be able to convince ourselves of, especially as, as, as we spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about and scoffing about th- those people out there, look, you're not any more deserving of this righteousness than they are. You didn't add to it. You didn't get it because you have a place of privilege with the Lord. You have a place of privilege with the Lord because he was kind and gracious to give you that place of privilege as a gift. Look, this this righteousness, it's not an active righteousness that you or I achieved for ourselves. It's a passive righteousness. All we've done is receive it. In his preface to his commentary on Galatians, a reformer, Martin Luther, writes this. And if if you've gone through our gospel DNA class at any point in time, you've actually seen this in the book that we use for that class. uh, Luther says this. It's called passive righteousness because we do not have to labor for it. I wonder if you find yourself laboring for this righteousness. I wonder if your weariness today is isn't because you've been, you've been laboring for a righteousness that, that you can't work for. It's not righteousness that we work for, but righteousness that we receive by faith. This passive righteousness is a mystery that someone who does not know Jesus cannot understand. In fact, Christians do not completely understand it and rarely take advantage of it in their daily lives. When there is any fear in our conscience or our conscience is bothered, it is a sign that our passive righteousness is out of sight and Christ is hidden. It's a sign that we've begun to work. I might also add that when there is any pride or boastfulness, pride or boastfulness in self, this is also a sign that our passive righteousness is out of sight and Christ is hidden. He continues, a person who wanders away from passive righteousness has no other choice but to live by works righteousness. And we've already seen where that leads. If he does not depend on the work of Christ, he must depend on his own work. So we must teach and continually repeat the truth of this passive or Christian righteousness so that Christians continue to hold to it and never confuse it with works righteousness. This is why, as Paul makes very clear, that the gospel leaves no room for pride, leaves no room for arrogance, it leaves leaves no room for boasting in self. This is not a righteousness that you work for. This is a righteousness that you freely receive as a gift. And look, this was a temptation for the Jews in Paul's day. It was a temptation for them to, to see this as evidence of, you know, they're being special somehow. And look, this is a temptation for us as well. We can kind of forget how we got here, so to speak. 
If we don't remember this passive righteousness, if we don't keep this passive righteousness before us at all times, if we don't keep it front and center, then we're going to be tempted to puff ourselves up as if we somehow have made an active contribution. Boasting is, it's excluded. Justification, right standing before God for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the Christian, for you, for me, it's, it's through faith. And ultimately, it puts his righteousness on display and not yours and not mine. And so then, look, as, as we've taken a look at these four observations about this, this righteousness, what I, I hope we've been able to draw out of the passage is this, that the path to sinner's justification has everything to do with the righteousness of God, doesn't it? Sinners are justified by way of the righteousness of God. Right standing before God. Again, it has nothing to do with our righteousness. It has everything to do with His righteousness. The justification of sinners puts the righteousness of God on full and glorious display. Or to put it even more plainly, the gospel puts the righteousness of God on full and beautiful display. Start to finish. This is what the gospel is about. This is what Paul is telling us in our passage today. The the righteousness of God on display in the life of the justified sinner. Not our own inherent righteousness, but a foreign righteousness. An out there righteousness. Not an in here righteousness. The righteousness of God revealed in Christ. And credited to the Christian as a gift. Not as wages, but as a gift. By faith in Him, a, a just righteousness that satisfy the penalty, satisfies the penalty for sin and the holy demands of a just God, a, a passive righteousness, one that we can't improve upon or add to or, or boast about. And so look, if, if you're sitting here today and you're a non-Christian, or if you're catching the live stream from home, and you're not a Christian, if you're looking for a a big takeaway, really we have to rewind the sermon all the way to the beginning, all the way to the intro. The verdict is in. All of us, we we stand guilty before God, and, and the sentence has been handed down. All who are guilty are deserving of the Lord's just wrath. An eternal punishment, no possibility of parole. But, right standing before God, the gift of the righteousness of God, it's still possible through faith in Jesus. You see, God Himself, judge and jury, He's made a way for us to be justly reconciled with Him. 
And I, I hope what you're seeing in our text is this is, a, this is a picture that's so beautiful. This is a righteousness that's so beautiful that our, our courtroom metaphor can't possibly contain it. It just crumbles. Our world doesn't have categories for it. And Christian, I think now we begin to see why Paul wrote in chapter 1 about why he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Remember Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul wrote, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because to be ashamed of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is to be ashamed of our God himself. Because through the gospel, his righteousness is put on glorious display. Brothers and sisters, let's marvel at it. Let's rest in it. And let's shout it from the rooftops. Let's pray. Father. Uh, the bad news is so bad. <laughs> we kind of were left sitting in it last week, and, and the bad news is so bad that the darkness is so dark, the hopelessness is so hopeless. The good news is so good. The the hope that we have in Christ is so hope-filled. Well, thank you for your worthiness. We praise you now for who you are. You are righteous. You are worthy and wholly sufficient to reconcile unrighteous, guilty sinners like ourselves to you. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Sinners made righteous. And we thank you, Lord, that the good news of the gospel doesn't put us on display, doesn't put us on a pedestal, doesn't make much of us, Lord, but that the gospel, it puts you and your character, your own righteousness on display. Father, give us eyes to see it. Help us to marvel at it. And Lord, would we be changed and transformed by it. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.